This episode of Tales from the Backlog, just like every episode, is brought to you by the wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Some personal heroes of mine like Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew, Zolgeek, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, aka Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, Rob Shack, Brian Skersha, Randall, and two new patrons, Jake Martin and Jenny E., and several others have all gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to kick me a few bucks a month and help support the show. You have my eternal gratitude, my undying love, my everlasting respect, and all that jazz. If you're thinking about supporting the show like these fine people, once again, patreon.com slash realdavejackson. You can get bonus episodes. You can sign up at the $5 tier and get my bonus retro gaming show called Tales from the Way Backlog. The game of the month in October is Zombies Ate My Neighbors. You'll also be able to vote in polls for games that appear on the show and much more. Any and all support is always appreciated, and with that being said, let us enter the survival horror. Hello everybody, my name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to bring a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss. My guest today for this episode about Resident Evil is a friend of the show, uh, Master of Unlocking, back for the third time on the show, Adelaide Locam. Welcome back. Thank you, it's uh, good to be back. Of course. Um, we previously we talked about Silent Hill 2. We're talking about The Last Door uh, last time. Now we're talking about Resident Evil. This has become every October. Yeah, coming back yeah. for Horror Month. I am. I am <laughs> the uh, me and me and Adam. I guess are probably the designated horror people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we are going to talk about Resident Evil today, but um, I do want to give you a chance at the top of the show, as always, to talk about your YouTube channel called Back on My BS. Uh, where we have some gaming content going on. So tell everybody about it. Yeah, uh, it's mostly review style content. Um, I talk about either games that I enjoyed growing up, or um, I've done a couple of videos on uh, like um, ROM hacks of English or of Japanese releases, things like that. Yeah, good stuff. Um, the uh, I remember a video about Killer Seven back in the day, a long time ago now. Uh, that that got me interested in playing that game in a video about the benefits of playing with permadeath on in video games, which is a, a little tendency that a lot of us have to try and turn that off and stuff mm-hmm. like Fire Emblem and stuff. So uh, good stuff there. Also, um, you want to plug your Twitch channel while we're here? Uh, yeah, I haven't streamed for a while now. I think the last thing I streamed was uh, Rising Xan. Uh, for for mood specifically because he asked for it, um, <laughs> but I, I do uh, stream occasionally over um, at Sister Adelaide on Twitch. Awesome, yeah, and uh, you can look forward to like PlayStation One style horror games mm-hmm. on that channel. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the vibe. Awesome. So uh, we'll give a recommendation at the beginning of the show for everyone to check that stuff out. 
and uh, you'll find links down in the show notes. Today, we're going to talk about Resident Evil, uh, specifically the remake from 2002. So this is a survival horror game, the survival horror game, uh, developed and published by Capcom. Again, we're talking about the remake from 2002, which is a remake of Resident Evil, which was released in 1996 for the PlayStation. Spoiler policy for this episode, Resident Evil, uh, all these games have stories which are, you know, kind of wild, campy, ridiculous stories. Uh, But this is Tales from the Backlog. We are going to stay on brand. We'll have a spoiler section at the end. So if you haven't played, uh, you can skip out when the spoiler wall comes up and you won't get spoiled on the story or any of the many ridiculous things that happen (laughs) throughout this game. So check down in the show notes for a timestamp for that. Now, some elevator pitches in case people don't know what Resident Evil is or have just heard the name and don't know anything else about it, aka me a couple of years ago. Uh, I wrote down, you work your way through a cursed mansion with your favorite Uncle Cop and watch out for sharks. How about you? <laughs> uh, that that seems like a really good elevator pitch. My Mine was just uh, take a second crack at making Resident Evil 1, but make it more polished. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the differences between the two games. I have a little bit of experience with the original, uh, but again, played this remake to completion. I played this on PC, uh, going back and forth between my PC and Steam Deck. It took me about 12 hours to beat. How about you? Um, I, I, I'm actually surprised then that I, I, I took 17 hours. Um, I played it on the PS4, um, and I'm always kind of wary about whether PS4 games uh, count uh, play clock when they're, the oh, games right. are su- suspended or not. Um, so... So yeah, um, actually, it gives you like a little uh, stat screen when you beat the game. Um, so I recorded those stats, and in total, I had uh, seventeen hours played, seventy kills, three hundred thirty ammo, uh, thirty six saves, thirty five heals, um, and I played it on easy. Nice, and maybe a little bit of that extra time was um, because uh, you were playing it without a guide uh, for as true. much as you could, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did not. I played, (laughs) I didn't play like with the guide up like on a second screen at all times, but I did use a guide uh, quite often. So we'll get into our uh, histories with Resident Evil, um, histories with the series, but then also with this game in particular, the original, the remake, whatever you have experience with. So Addy, I'll kick to you first. Uh, When did you first play Resident Evil in any form or fashion? And what's your, your history with the series here? Um, so I actually, uh, came to Resident, it's, it's funny, we'll talk about it, but, uh, I came to Resident Evil after Resident Evil 4. Um, I know that, um, I had, I, I know that, like, uh, copies, like, of the PlayStation games were floating around, uh, amongst my friends, and they were, you know, into them, but I, I never really, uh, got into them. Uh, until Resident Evil 4 came out and I was like, oh, this is, this is a game I can play and understand. Mm. And like, this is fun. <laughs> um, and then, you know, after that, um, I, I went back and played other entries of the series, but it really was uh, Resident Evil 4 that kind of brought me in. What was the first time that you played the original game? This one? Um, this one, I, I think it was, like three or four years ago, I want to say, um, 
that I finally sat down and I was like, well, you know, if I can't, because by that time I had played like four and five and maybe even six. Um, but like I was, I, you know, I was like, I want to play this, but like if I can't get into the original, original one, like at least this one is probably, you know, a little bit easier uh, mm-hmm. entry point. Yeah, for sure. And have you gone back to like the original, original one? Um, I don't think I've ever played through all the way uh, of the first Resident Evil, but I have played two and three, and I've tried to play Code Veronica a couple of times and never made it all the way through that one either. <laughs> the original Resident Evil is uh, it's a lot harder than this remake is, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm I'm finding out. Um, so yeah, my first Resident Evil game was also Resident Evil Four, and it's interesting, my first, like, true survival horror game was Silent Hill 2 for Aww. when we did the podcast those couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So, like, my experience with, like, proper survival horror games is about that. That's about it. RE4, uh, I played for the first time last year. I absolutely loved that. Played the remake, absolutely loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of got me thinking, like, you know, I really love that game. I kind of... I. By playing that game, I understand what it is that people like about Resident Evil. The -hmm. gameplay changes, but like I felt like the tone of it was very clear, Um, and you know it's it's the same in in this uh, original game or the remake. So that made me want to go back and play uh, this one here. And I also have a little bit of that brain worm that says like if you're gonna play games in a series, you got to start at the first one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the compromise was to play the remake instead of the original, original one. Cause mm-hmm. those um, I'm playing the original one right now uh, for something else. And those tank controls and the difficulty, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. And honestly like this, I mean, we, we will talk more about it as we uh, roll out the ways that it's different, but I, I think the existence of this game sort of, uh, supersedes or uh, it, it you don't ever have to actually play the first one unless you specifically want to you know yeah uh, it, unless it's like out of curiosity to see you know the beginning of it mm-hmm. I, I kind of agree and that's a nice segue into some quick opening thoughts about this game uh, so this game is really really good i like this a lot um, i had a great time it was very clear to me that this is incredibly tightly designed. There's really no fluff. There's no wasted sections. There's nothing like, you know, parts of the island in RE4 original where I was like, you could probably cut that. It would have been fine. I didn't really get that feeling in uh, this one, the remake. Um, The story is super fun uh, and surprisingly has just the slightest bit of like depth and pathos that I didn't expect from Mm -hmm. a Resident Evil story. So overall, super happy with this experience. And I agree with you. Now having seen both of them, this feels like like the poster child for how to do a really good remake. Just like mm-hmm. we said about Resident Evil 4 remake <laughs> in that episode. They they kind of have a thing for it, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um I this this feels like to me in a lot of ways um the shining example of like what they were trying to do with the classic Resident Evil series and maybe not quite getting it right or um you know iterating but not not really finding uh what it should have been um 
And this feels very solid in a way that those games don't. Um, and like I said, I, I, I don't think there's a, like, unless you want the experience specifically, I don't think there's really a reason to play the first one or like two or three or Code Veronica or like any of the classic Resident Evil games. This is <laughs> such like an exemplar of that style of game, you know? Yeah, agreed. Um, we're going to dig into that after this music break. We're going to start with the story. So in Resident Evil, you pick at the beginning whether you want to play as Jill Valentine or Chris Redfield. They are members of the Raccoon City Police Department's Special Tactics and Rescue Service, aka STARS, and they're sent to investigate a string of bizarre murders happening outside of the city. We'll camp out on this for a second because this you choose this even before the opening cutscene plays, mm-hmm. whether you want to play as Jill or Chris. It doesn't tell you what the difference is, but there mm-hmm. is... There are mechanical differences between the two of them. Yeah, so um, Chris has, uh, like, in terms of gameplay, it's all the same stuff. But um, he has uh, more health. um, He has less inventory space. He gets access to some items that Jill doesn't. That means that, like, the way he does puzzles are slightly different. Um, but the big difference, I think, really is the, the smaller inventory space and the fact that he starts out with a different, like, special item than Jill does, which is the lighter. Yeah. And because he doesn't get the lockpick, he needs to collect keys that open the doors that you would use the lockpick for. Right. So you you have to pick up keys that take up one of your already more uh, limited inventory slots. Mm-hmm. So Chris kind of feels like hard mode in this game. Yeah. Despite having more health, you know, Jill has more inventory space, so Jill can carry more ammo and stuff like that to mm-hmm. uh, to keep you safe. So um, I picked Jill. Um, what did you pick? Who did you pick? I played uh, Chris this time. Okay, cool. Uh, so are there any story differences? between them there is actually i mean not like in terms of what the like canon lore is but uh mm-hmm. chris has different cutscenes. um he has a different like companion character than jill does right. uh barry isn't in any of chris's stuff except for maybe at the end in the beginning mm. yeah oh that's right I, I remember someone talking about how chris's uh, companion character is a lot more annoying than barry yeah, she's uh, she's also like half of the protagonist from Resident Evil Zero, um, okay. but it's uh, Rebecca Chambers, who I think is supposed to be part of like Alpha Team, but she's a medic. Cool. So um, whoever you pick, uh, along with, like I said, if you pick Jill, you're along with your partner Barry, and then uh, if you pick Chris, you have your other partner whose name I already forgot. Short term <laughs> memory. <laughs> uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, okay. Uh, and then also your other teammate, Albert Wesker, um, they go out, it's in this this really cool opening cutscene, which in the remake, if I remember right, is like, it's like an in-engine cutscene. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the original, it's this really weird FMV, like, I, w- I hesitate to even call it B-movie. It's like, like D-movie. 
yeah, FMV sequence. It's so, so bizarre <laughs> and out of place. And it's got like, uh, little like character intros in the, in the middle yeah, of it. Like a, and, like a TV show or something. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, they they go out, they find a uh, a crashed police helicopter, uh, but a bunch of dogs attack them, and they have to take refuge in this uh, abandoned mansion nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the team splits up to investigate the mansion. Um, I I don't know if this is how it works with um, Chris's story, but Barry is just constantly like, oh my god, like comes in saves Jill. And it's like, oh my God, that was so dangerous. Like, wow, this mansion's fucked. All right, well, I'm going to leave again. Uh, we're going to split up again. So I'll see you in five hours. Yeah, that's basically what happens with uh, Rebecca too, <laughs> which is weird because they purposely like play her like she's a little bit, you know, she's like the medic and she's like not good at protecting herself. But like right. Chris just keeps on letting her wander off and do her own thing. <laughs> Same with Barry. Barry's just like, wow, Jill, you barely got out of that one. Um, okay, well, I'm going to go hang out in the dining room, you know, the the safe dining room. Mm-hmm. Uh, see you later. <laughs> so, uh, kind of weird. It, it all kind of fits in with this campy um, tone that the game has. So uh, I just wanted to talk about this for a little bit because this is, you know, it was one of my favorite things about RE4 and it's also one of my favorite things about this game is how goofy and campy and weird uh, this story, these characters, this dialogue, uh, the voice acting, all of it kind of, mm-hmm. it's just a little bit weird and off. Uh, I think it's great though. Fits. Yeah. Um, I I think what's interesting about the voice acting in this game is it does feel like dated, but it feels professional in a way that like the yes. voice acting in the first in the original <laughs> release doesn't it no it, it quite literally <laughs> could have been that they just pulled people in from the office to record lines for the game you know that's that's what it sounded like like i was i was playing today and i was like barry said a line that was like two sentences to jill <laughs> and i was like this sounds like they cut they 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 chopped up four different takes and spliced <laughs> them all together. Like it, he did not speak these two sentences in a continuous way. Yeah. It's real weird. But in the remake I agree. It does sound professional. It's still weird. It's mm-hmm. still like you know, late 90s early 2000s voice acting was before well, I guess in some games they did sound like very very professional, but most of them didn't yet. And this is still firmly in that era, I think. Yeah, I think, like, in terms of, like, high watermarks for um, voice acting, I think, like, Metal Gear Solid was maybe the first, like, game that really sounded like it was voice acted by, like, professionals that were trying to sound like they're working their characters. Um, Uh (laughs) But but nothing really else, like, caught up for it, uh, with it, like, for a really long time, so. Yeah, and kind of going hand in hand with the voice acting is the dialogue in this game, which has been updated in the original. It's um, from what I've seen of my like couple hours playing the original. It's not as weird in the remake. Yeah. You know, there's the the classic, uh, the famous, you are almost a Jill sandwich line from the original, which is not in the remake, but they, they changed it to, wow, because like a, a thing is a ceiling is falling and mm-hmm. like about to crush Jill. And they changed the line to, wow, if that thing got you, you could have fit into a sandwich. <laughs> so it's not like they changed it to something serious. It, it's just <laughs> not right. as weird, you know? Yeah. I, I do kind of miss the uh, 
the old dialogue, um, you know, I, I think there is there is a kind of like uh, I, I have strong opinions about the intro sequence uh, to Symphony of the Night, which is like every uh, like re-release of that game has like a retranslated intro that I kind of hate <laughs> with people that are not being nearly as dramatic. Um, mm. And I, I think there's something like really charming about like the bad translation. Like they could have even had like, you know, the re-recorded lines. I just I kind of wish they had kept the old script. Yeah, I agree. But like the the cheesy tone is is still here. Um, yeah. And it it extends past the dialogue into the stuff that you're doing, um the kind of puzzles that you're solving, the things that are happening in the plot, uh the way that this mansion is set up, like mm-hmm. some of this mansion feels like a place where people lived and then some of it doesn't. Like, you know, there's the the thing where you pick up a key and a suit of armor with spinning saw blades starts going down a track at you. And it's like, what are they using this room for in the mansion? Yeah. Uh, so a bunch of weird shit like that, that what, what I think is a survival horror thing now that I'm playing more of these games, uh, how every bathtub is disgusting <laughs> and every bathtub is interactable and you, you know, you interact and it says, do you want to stick your hand in the dirty bath water? I'm like, well, yeah, obviously. yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff like that. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is kind of a funny uh, uh, reoccurring trope. It must be like, I feel like it must be like an anticipation building thing, right? Like, you know, yeah. like it's a way to craft like uh, jump scares or whatever. You know, something is going to happen when the water is gone, but you know, you have to sit there and watch it happen. Yeah, it <laughs> it doesn't go quite as far as like you know sticking your hand down dirty toilets in this game, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it is it's it's real weird. I I mean you and you always find something in the bathtubs after oh, yeah. you drain the water too. So like, and know. it's not normal things. It's not no, like, it's like a dagger soap. or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Love to uh, fill up my bathtub, put a dagger in there, and right. then. And then, like, hide under the water in case someone comes in or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, the tone, I think, is the real win here. Like I mm-hmm. said in the um, the opening, I think the story is better than I thought it would be. It's it's a little bit more, especially for, like, the first one. Yeah. There is a little bit more, like, heart to some of the the things in the story, especially, like, when you find out why there are zombies around mm-hmm. and, like, some of the stories behind those people. Um, it, it is uh, like touching at times, uh, which is not something I can say about Resident Evil 4. Or Yeah. <laughs> um, it It's interestingly like, like even though it's obvious, like in the remake, they specifically tried it to sort of like seed like story connections to other games to make it right. like fit in a little bit more. It's, surprisingly like restrained for for what it is you know right and then like from what i've heard about where the series goes as it goes further and further like when you get to re6 and Mm -hmm. it's like is this this still the same series it's still the same (laughs) storyline they're following here so yeah but the the story for the most part i think is is good fun Mm -hmm. i agree and like you said the the stuff um uh with like a a specific like recurring boss character is like genuinely like kind of heartstring pulling and sad Mm -hmm. unexpected for Mm -hmm. resident evil
I think that this remake, especially now that I've seen the original, um, I think that this remake looks really, really good. Like, this is from 2002, and I played like an HD remaster that's on Mm -hmm. Steam. But still, a game from 2002, the way that they designed the mansion to look, and we'll talk more about the mansion when we get into gameplay, but the mansion and some of the other levels in here too are like now in the pantheon of like great video game settings, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it starts with how it looks because it is a creepy ass mansion. Yeah, and like um, one of the things that really struck me when I was replaying this is like um, it looks surprisingly timeless for being like I I know for myself, like I tend to uh, default to like pixelated graphics are generally better than 3d especially early 3d because Mm -hmm. there is a like i said a timelessness to like good pixel animation that doesn't age at all and i don't necessarily think that's true with a lot of 3d or early 3d but like this is like um well crafted it's high definition enough like the character models kind of look like dolls but like even that isn't like <laughs> so like so bad or distracting that like you know it it is it's not like uncanny it's uh it just feels of the time you know yeah i i think that like especially games of this era, a lot of like backgrounds and stuff age way better than character models and faces Mm -hmm. and things like that. And that's definitely true here too. Uh, But, you know, I didn't mind it so much. I guess I'm just really focusing on how good these, you know, these rooms and stuff look uh, as you're going through. Mm -hmm. I kind of like noted that it rides like a nice happy medium between like being bare bones like the original was and then being super, super cluttered like mm-hmm. the RE4 remake is. And I like the clutter a lot, but it rides that happy medium of making me feel like it's a cluttered place without being full of stacks of papers that mm-hmm. explode wherever you walk <laughs> and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, um, it is designed in such a... Like, despite the unrealism of how the mansion is designed, the rooms (laughs) in the mansion do seem like, you know, you go into an office and it's got uh, a bookshelf and table and chairs and, like, there's stuff on the desk and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it looks like a real office that somebody presumably did work in. Mm -hmm. And I should say that the the mansion is much, much bigger in Mm -hmm. the remake than it was in the original. Like I fired up the original. I was like, holy shit, there's like, what is it? Half the size, basically, from what I can tell. It's uh, much bigger. The level design is incredible how it's all interconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, You really get to know the hallways and stuff like that. It also has a fantastic map. Uh, in the remake yeah which is much appreciated yeah we love a we love a good map in a survival horror game (laughs) yeah one of those that shows you which doors are locked which Mm -hmm. doors are uh open that you've been through which doors you haven't tried yet yeah um i don't think it goes as far as to like mark key stuff on the map Mm -mm. but um just giving me that indication that like yes you've been in this room actually it um it marks whether you've picked up all the items, you know, yeah, which is super that. helpful. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Uh, the only thing that I wish, like, really was a frustration, mostly only early on in the game, um, is not knowing which doors took which keys. Um, oh, so, yeah. like, in, in the mansion, like, when you're exploring around, you'll find, like, four different types of locked doors. Um, and every time you get a new key, you basically have to do a loop around the mansion and try every locked door because it doesn't tell you which ones are the sword doors and which ones are the shield doors. Right. As another um, extremely realistic way the mansion was designed, right? Like, I love to have four different types of locks in my house. And <laughs> yeah, totally makes sense. <laughs> uh, this game is from the fixed camera perspective um, mm-hmm. that I think a lot of survival horror games work with. Uh, and the the perspective shifts from room to room mm-hmm. or even shifts as you're going through a hallway or uh, within a room or something like that. This fixed perspective gets a little bit frustrating with how you how you run. Like I would constantly mm-hmm. like run through a screen transition and then sudden because I'm not playing with tank controls yeah. in the remake. You can if you want to, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. So pushing forward to leave a room is now the same direction as it is to go back to the room I was in. That happened to me a lot. So I had to train myself to like go through a transition, let go of the control stick, let the camera do its thing and then pick it back up. You know? Yeah. That is one kind of unfortunate. I, I, I actually like, I kind of love um, fixed camera angles. I know they're not like a, like an industry thing we do anymore because you can just create a floating camera and everything's three, 3d modeled. Mm -hmm. So you don't really need to worry about it, but I think there is like a artistry and, or, or at least can be an artistry and like intention of like how and where the camera is placed in each scene. Um, mm-hmm. so like you can do cool things like, um, like you're going through this hallway, but instead of being like a top down or like a, a flat perspective, you're seeing through the window or like, you know, there's the camera is like placed under a table or something, you know, there's a lot of like cool things that you can do with it that you don't get from just a free camera. Right. Um, And they can also hide stuff from you. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're encouraged to poke around in corners, kind of, if there's a section of the room that the camera is not showing, you're encouraged to go check it out. Uh, you might find an item in there. There might be an enemy waiting for you there. Um, it's all within the realm of possibility. So like, I know like I kind of had that issue where like I would leave a room and then go right back into it on accident. But mm-hmm. I do dig the the fixed camera in general, um, just from, like you said, the way it makes it a bit more cinematic and also gives the designers more like control over what you see and when you see it. You know, yeah. so they've set up a bunch of cool stuff because of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Along those lines, because the developers are seeing what you see and when you see it, uh, do you find this game to be scary? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. For for some reason, Resident Evil games have never been scary games to me. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if it's just like by the time I came to them. They were at the like sort of outsized uh, action portion of the series. And then like going back now, even though like it does a good job with atmosphere, like that, that, that bald zombie turning around is never going to be scary to me, you right. know? 
I kind of agree. I didn't find this to be a super scary game, although I do think this game sets up a really good tense atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the fact that there are not a lot of jump scares. There are some jump scares, but when they do happen, it's mostly just a dude, like the same <laughs> dude that you've yeah. been dealing with. So it's like, oh, a dude, and then you run away because mm-hmm. that's what you that's what you do. Other than that, I think a lot of the tension and stuff comes more from just the way the sound design works, the way the atmosphere is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a quiet place for the most part, I think. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of background music all the time. And when there is, it's more subtle than, mm-hmm. you know, pounding stuff. Um, so you run around the mansion and just hear the sound of your footsteps or like a very fucking loud clock that dominates the, the room <laughs> yeah. that you're in. Um, and stuff like that adds a little bit more tension for me personally, than just having some kind of creepy music going in the background or something. Mm-hmm. We can talk a little bit more about this when we get into the music, but I, I almost wish like they had used it even more sparsely than they do because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's just like you walk into a room and this is a room with music in it. And then sometimes there's just no music and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and like there's always music for dramatic stuff, but it doesn't, it feels like, less intentional than I I would like or something like that. I think that added a little bit to the tension for me because Mm. like I couldn't count on the music to key me into like when there's going to be combat. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you, like you said, you go in a room, there's music and you're like, oh, is there going to be a zombie in here? Or like there's a very slow, like, I don't even know how to describe the instrument, but just like a, you know, horror, ambient horror Mm -hmm. music starts playing or whatever. And you're like, oh, combat. But then there's not. Yeah. And then one of those things where if you start to think you figured it out, then you'll go into a room and suddenly there's a dude. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's pretty effective. But part of the appeal of the mansion is that it's this like haunted, empty mansion. And mm-hmm. then you're walking around and you're not going to hear anything except the sound of your footsteps or birds or barking dogs. You know, those dogs that chased you into the mansion, you can hear them running around outside if you leave the mansion and go outside, they'll Mm -hmm. attack you. So like the dogs are part of this like oppressive thing, keeping you inside. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that sound design, I think is like the win here. Although the save room music is awesome. Oh yeah, of course you got to have a good save room song. Um, (laughs) Are you a survival horror game? If you don't have a great save room song that I probably know, I think. (laughs) In that fixed camera perspective, you're playing in third person. I already said you have the option at the beginning. You can play with the classic tank controls or not. Uh, I will never choose tank controls <laughs> when given the option. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's just real tough. I, I get used to them after a while, but I am never like a master of them. Yeah, no, I, I also feel like uh, it's one of the things that kept me away from the original games <laughs> in the first place. Like, I, they, they, they are adaptable. And I, I know some people are like, oh, di- having difficult to use controls increases the horror. But I, I've never, I, that just makes me angry. It does not make me scared. That, yeah, that feels like a very artificial way. Like, yeah disempower the characters don't disempower me as the human trying to like 
could like use the controller, you know, right. that's not effective in mm-hmm. my opinion. So, uh, it has a kind of an old school system. Um, you, you mainly fight with guns and you have like a left trigger to raise your weapon, right trigger to fire. Um, you'll auto aim, or at least you will, if you're playing on easy, I don't know if it's on different on, uh, different difficulties, but, uh, I played on easy as well. I don't know if I mentioned that. I think it auto aims regardless. I want to say, okay. You can also manually aim, but it's Mm -hmm. really weird and not really worth it, in my opinion, unless you're like aiming up to try to get a headshot or something. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I find kind of fiddly about this um, system, unfortunately, is like there are flying enemies and there are also things like dogs, uh, which exist in a lower uh, Mm -hmm. hitbox, I guess, than the zombies sometimes. So, like, sometimes if they're really close to you, you'll have to aim directly down um, Mm -hmm. to hit them. But if they're far enough back, you don't. Um, And then sometimes you're like, oh, I'm going to aim down just to be safe because it's a dog. And then you'll just shoot directly into the ground. (laughs) Yeah. And shooting shooting directly into the ground feels bad because ammo is limited. Yes. Playing on easy mode, at least, it's not to the point where you have to count every single shot, but you cannot just go spray bullets wildly, uh, or you're going to have a really hard time. Mm -hmm. So you'll learn, I think, you should learn as you're playing this, that a lot of enemies, especially the basic zombie types, you don't have to kill them, and some of them you should not kill them. Running around them is often better, and they're not that hard to kind of like juke out and run mm-hmm. as they swing or something. Uh, so that's the pro move, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, you you can get away with like because um, there's a there's a system by which you can I think permanently remove um, zombies from rooms, um, but uh, it, the way that they the regular zombies are designed, it, it feels very intentional to be like easy to maneuver around for sure. Yeah. Um, if you do kill them and you don't light them on fire, mm-hmm. uh, which is why it's good to have Chris's lighter, mm-hmm. uh, but Jill finds a lighter pretty early in the game anyway. Um, if you don't light them on fire, they can come back as a stronger, faster much more dangerous version. Uh, By the time that happens, you often have a weapon to deal with it, but it feels bad using a bunch of shotgun ammo on something that you could have avoided, uh, basically. Yeah, and that's a a new mechanic for the remake, um, Mm. is the the crimson heads, is what they're called. But yeah, Mm. if you kill, like, down a zombie in a room and then don't make sure you light him or blow up his head, um, right. then it will revive in a couple of screens. And they are like noticeably like later in the game when you fight, um, y- you do come across more like fast and agile creatures. But for the majority of the first half, maybe even like three fourths of the game, you're really dealing with very slow, ponderous zombies. So the mm-hmm. difference in how fast the crimson heads can uh, move is like pretty shocking. Yeah. And you may, if someone's listening to this, they may be thinking like, okay, well, I'm just going to set everything on fire. Nothing is going to revive in my mansion. <laughs> well, you don't have enough items to do that. So yeah, you have to be really choosy about where you think you're going to come back. So if you 
kill an enemy in an area like right outside a save room or something like that. Yeah, you may want to burn them up so you don't mm-hmm. have to deal with that enemy. But by the time I figured this out, there were a bunch of enemies that I had killed and just left there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have enough uh, gas, I think it is, to light them on fire. So I had a bunch of uh, hairy situations trying to get through <laughs> some of these hallways later yeah. in the game. And that's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a system that the game does not bother to tell you anything about. Um, like, I think you pick up or start with the kerosene uh, flask or whatever it's called pretty early in the game. But I, I don't remember if it tells you that you can and possibly should be burning zombies if you're killing them. There's a note where someone talks oh, about, okay. you know, it's like a another one of those kind of suspend your disbelief. Someone <laughs> is like frantically trying to explain to everybody how like, oh, these things come back. Mm-hmm. You have to blow up their heads or light them on fire. And they choose to do it by writing in a diary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, they do explain it to you. Okay. But you, you still have to figure out that, oh, the way I light them on fire is I have to bring the kerosene, I have to bring the lighter, and then go light them on fire, you know. And uh, frustratingly, there is a limited amount of kerosene in the mansion. Uh, you can find like like big drums of it, but um, there are only in a couple of locations. Uh, and mm-hmm. your canteen only carries two uses at a time. Yeah. Um, which does not make for a lot of zombie burning. No, it makes for a lot of backtracking um, to save rooms. Because mm-hmm. uh, in this game, you you can only save in designated save rooms. There's mm-hmm. not that many of them. But like I said, the mansion is like super well connected. So you're never that far from one. Um, and you'll, you'll find your favorite routes to and from mm-hmm. uh, your favorite save rooms. One of the things that gave me an issue was that in this game, you have limited uh, saves. Mm-hmm. You cannot save as many times as you want. You save with a consumable item, and on different difficulty levels, they give you different numbers of those items. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a couple of times where I had no save ribbons, no ink ribbons left, and I was like, well, look, I have a lot of free time, okay? I, I don't have kids, um, I am blessed with a lot of free time, but I am still not able to just like play games for how long I want to all the time with no mm-hmm. interruptions. So I can only imagine like if you are a kid and when someone tells you you have to do something, you pretty much have to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you have kids and suddenly you have to put the game down or something. And I'm, if I were playing on Switch or PlayStation, putting it on, um, like sleep mode Mm -hmm. would be cool. Yeah. Uh, But I can't really, I can just leave my PC running forever, (laughs) I guess. I don't really want to do that. Right. Um, So there were a couple of times where I was like running out of these ribbons. I was like, well, fuck, I got to find more or I can't save. Um, And I don't like this. Uh, It's, I get the added tension that it brings, but overall, like I can appreciate it, but I don't like it. That's uh, interesting because I felt like um, for, for me, um, that like, there were a couple of times where I maybe got down to like two or three, but I, I, I never felt like I was really in a deficit for them, uh, because mm. on easy mode, like to be fair, the game is pretty generous about giving them to you. Like every save room that you find at least has like three, 
uh, ink ribbons, and there's also right. rooms uh, dotted around the mansion in the various locations that will have them too. Yeah. The thing was, you start out and it gives you enough of them right at the beginning where I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a consumable, but I'm going to get a lot of them. So I wasn't yeah. careful at all with saving. Um, and I was talking with some people in the Discord server and a kind of common thing from at least a couple people was like, yeah, I had to just restart my game oh, the first time I played this and, you know, come back with the knowledge that like, yeah, maybe they give you six of them right at the beginning, but you're not going to find six of them all the time. The really weird thing to me about the um, the ink ribbons is I don't know why they're an item at all. What I mean is why... I. It doesn't make sense that you would ever carry them in your inventory because right. you're never, ever, ever going to use them when you're not at a, a save room and save rooms almost exclusively have item boxes in them. Right. Um, so what I did was I would get to a save room. Uh, I would go to the item box, pull out my ink ribbons, save my game, and then turn around and put them right back into the save or the item box. Yeah. And so every time you start up your game again, you're like, okay, first th- first order of business, put the ribbons back in the box, <laughs> right. and then uh, we can continue. Yeah, it is just a little bit of like added inventory pressure. Like when you pick up ink ribbons, they're super valuable. You mm-hmm. you should pick them up. Yeah, that's true. But then you have to carry them all the way till you find an item box. Mm-hmm. And especially as Chris, I mean, if you only have six inventory slots, you have your weapon you probably have a key. Mm-hmm. You probably have like some key item that you picked up from doing a puzzle. You're going to carry ammo. You just picked up some ink ribbons. You mm-hmm. run out of spots like real quick. Yeah, that's true. It just, it, it, it uh, struck me as, as interesting while I was playing. Like there were very, like, except for the times when I walked into a room and picked up an ink ribbon that wasn't in a safe room, like, it just seemed like it might have made more sense to just have it be a resource that like doesn't exist as a physical inventory item. Kind of like the, uh, like the, uh, the rest that uh, the like defensive items work or your like unique item. Oh, right. Yeah. They, they get their own like special slot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that interesting with the, um, the saves and the ink ribbons? I think this is the last thing I have to say about them. Uh, <laughs> this, this was the thing that made me realize I was playing on easy mode because you pick at the beginning, <laughs> you can't see what difficulty you're on. Mm-hmm. There's no way to change it once you start your game because it, it populates all these items around. And so I was looking it up and I was like, well, shit, I'm out of these ribbons. I've saved 18 times and I'm mm-hmm. looking on like the guide and it's like, if you're playing on normal mode, you get 30 ribbons. I was like, man, I have like... 10 hours left in this game. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to make it through? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kept finding more and more. And I was like, okay, I must be playing on easy. Good job, Dave. That yeah. was a, a good, wise choice. Right choice. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, those uh, you get these defensive items too. Um, and they kind of occupy their own slot. And uh, you have the option, I think, at least on easy, to set them to like automatically work when you mm-hmm. get attacked. Yeah. Um, you pick up tasers and... Um, I think, oh, daggers. Yeah, that's the other Oh, wait, one. you got tasers? Yeah, Jill gets tasers. Oh, wow. There's another difference then. Uh, Chris okay. gets a flash grenade. Interesting. Um, and daggers. Cool. So what, because like, you f- do you throw the flash grenade when 
a zombie grabs you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Humorously, so like with the dagger, you like struggle and you stick him in the head, right? Right. With yeah. the <laughs> with the flash grenade, you like shove it in their face, um, and then that gets them <laughs> off you, and then you can shoot the flash grenade for like an auto uh, head destruction. Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jill just gets tasers and the, you know, you tase them in the neck. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the flash grenade, that's very funny. I love that. Yeah. Like, you just kind of shove it in their face. Uh, <laughs> and the, the flash grenade explodes like while it's in your hand or like uh, stuck to their face or something. No, you like put it in their <laughs> mouth and they, oh, okay, you know, gotcha. are like, oh no. And then you can like blow it up if you shoot it. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you do the, the auto option for these two? Yeah, I, I I never was like, they're not so plentiful that like, there's definitely many times where you're running around without them. But like, I never felt like I needed to be like, careful or like choosy about when I was using them in the same way that you might with like healing items or ammo. Yeah, it, those were just kind of like, eh, if it happens, you know, I get attacked and I end up using a taser, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Now I don't have to use a healing item, so it's all right. A lot of what you're doing other than like combat and stuff is solving all of these adventure gamey puzzles Mm -hmm. around the mansion. So we already talked about the mansion has like four or five different types of locked doors around. So you're trying to find these keys, but in order to get those keys, you have to do a lot of uh, puzzling to finally get those keys or get a new weapon or something like that. Mm -hmm. Picking up items, examining them in your menu, combining items together sometimes, uh, to solve puzzles or create keys, et cetera, et cetera. How do you find these kind of adventure gamey elements to it? I actually, I, I, we talked about this a little while I was playing, but like, I was surprised how, how like not difficult I found them. And, and realizing of course that I've actually played this game all the way through at least once before. Right. Uh, but like, I don't know. I, 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 until the very end where the game asks you to do something that it's never asked you to do before and will never ask you to do again, um, <laughs> which is to pick up a key item out of a thing that you've already put it in and put it in, like correctly placed it once and then put it in a different right. thing. Like, I, I don't know. Like I felt like for the most part, the puzzles themselves are like really concisely placed um, or like, there's a like an economy of space in how they're designed um where like you're not having to run back and forth between too much area you know like oftentimes you'll find clues for the puzzle you'll tra- you're trying to solve in the place that you're trying to solve it or you know they they might be spread out across one of the smaller locations but that location is only like five or six screens as where as opposed to like running the halfway across the mansion and back, you know? Right. And especially when the game expands to include locations outside the mansion, uh, those are luckily pretty Mm self-contained as far as like the puzzles and stuff go. 
um, would have driven me crazy if it was like, you have to go from the mansion to this entire other place mm-hmm. and then go back to the mansion. Uh, would have driven me crazy. Yeah. Um, interesting you said that. The puzzle you're talking about um, that gave you trouble was one of the very few that I figured out on my own. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a lot of trouble with the adventure game logic. Um, and it's I think it's more, it's less about the puzzles themselves being you know, super random with solutions that don't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It's me kind of like coming to a level of familiarity with all of the different ways you can interact with the stuff you pick up. Mm -hmm. So for example, like there's an early puzzle where there's a gravestone outside and it has an arrowhead indentation Um, and you pick up an arrow, but it's not just an arrowhead. It's an entire arrow So adventure game logic tells me I need to do something to break this or remove the arrowhead. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to find a machine or I need to find, you know, a knife or something to cut it off or something like that. And that's just not how it works. The solution is you have to examine the arrow and then press the examine button again Mm -hmm. and they'll just pop the arrowhead off. And that's like that second layer of examining that like didn't work with me. There's some items where like examining them just by themselves is not enough. You have to like rotate them around and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, um, you know, if you've played a bunch of these games, you may have more familiarity with it than me. Uh, But those things kind of got in the way of me figuring out a lot of these things on my own. Uh, there's There's a key that you pick up or an item that you pick up that you examine and rotate and it mm-hmm. like expands to form a key. And I was like, okay. I, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> yeah. I definitely, I definitely didn't think about that, but it is like something that is, I think in the entire series, but like examining things um, and actually going, cause what it does is like, you can, you can highlight it in the inventory and you can either like use examine or combine. And if you go into the examine mode or whatever, it pops you to a screen where you can see the 3d model and you can rotate it. But like, if you weren't aware that you could, there was a further level of interaction, like, or like you're saying, uh, you were just looking at the wrong part of it, right? It, what it wants you to do is like, look at the unique standy outy thing and then examine it. Uh, like the uh there's another uh reoccurring item that you pick up all the time um and it's like a first aid case which this right. these things I don't even understand why they exist because they're literally <laughs> a single inventory slot item that you examine to get a single inventory slot healing item that's exactly, all it is yeah. <laughs> um but yeah but like what you have to do is you have to rotate it so you're looking at the lid from the top where it says insert first aid. And then if you examine it, it'll like open it up. Yeah. And it's like, um, I remember the first aid box fooled me at first because I was looking at the latch on the Mm, side mm -hmm. and not the top. And if you do that, it won't open. Yeah. So like, it's not that like these puzzles have the most random solutions. It's just like, there's a language to interacting with all the stuff that you pick up. And I just like, didn't have it for most of this game. Um, and then I, I opened up the guide and I played with a guide for most of the game. The other part of it too is because you have a limited inventory and you pick up so many items that will be useful later, mm-hmm. uh, they're rarely, it's rarely like 
there's a weird indentation in the wall and I pick up the item in the next room yeah. or in the same room. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'll pick up the item way later in the level and then I'll come back and put the thing in the wall to open a door. So you can't carry all this stuff with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I should be carrying because some stuff you'll pick up real early in the game and not use until real late in the game. Yeah, that's definitely true. So that stuff kind of drove me towards using a guide too, where sometimes I'd just be like, all right, I'm going to a new place. Like, what should I take with me? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, especially uh, because uh, inventory space is at such a premium. And like you mentioned before, you know, you're probably carrying around at least a weapon, probably ammo for that weapon, maybe a healing item. Uh, that's like half of your inventory already, you yeah. know? And then like, if you're playing it safe, you're maybe carrying around the kerosene with you. So that gives you like two extra inventory spaces to work with. Yeah. Or if you're playing as Chris, that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, and like, so say you walked all the way over to the puzzle and you brought the wrong key item, then you have to walk all the way back. <laughs> and yeah. Like, yeah. There's a lot of backtracking. I already said like, there's a couple things that makes the backtracking like a little bit frustrating, but not the worst. Um, the fact that the mansion is so interconnected and that like you have to traverse the whole mansion to get back to the save room or like the closest save room, but it's, it it will take a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not that bad. And, um, aside from the enemies that kind of come back as stronger versions of themselves, if you find yourself like crisscrossing a certain area, you can permanently remove the enemies and they'll never come back, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very helpful. Yeah, if I'm remembering the layout correctly, there's like a save room on each side of the ground floor of the mansion. And then maybe one on each side or yeah, like one on each side of the second floor too, or something like that. I think it's just, there might be typewriters um, Mm. around more often, but as far as I know in the mansion, there's there's maybe like two or three item boxes and that's like the real yeah. thing. You, you got to get back to the item box um, more often than you have to go run somewhere to find a typewriter. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we didn't really talk about combat much, but like the combat's very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, plant, shoot a couple times. If something's getting close to you, run away, kind of reposition yourself it only really comes to a head in a couple of boss fights, but I didn't think any of the boss fights were really that difficult. Again, playing on easy mode, but like they don't move super fast. They're not super hard to avoid. Yeah. I I don't think this series has really ever had a good, at least in these classic entries um, has had a good track record with bosses because unfortunately, oftentimes boss encounters are just, what if big enemy um, <laughs> and you can't run away and you have to shoot them more, you know, like, and that's, that's about it. Like, you know, you can, you, when you fight the tyrant, you can be strategic and like dodge around his attacks, but it's not anything more difficult than that. I, I will say something I thought was cool that um, not all the bosses, but some of them have uh, alternative ways that you can like kill them basically. Mm-hmm where if you do a little side quest or something like that, uh, you might not even have to fight uh, a couple of the bosses. Um, Some of the boss encounters, like the boss will attack you and you may need to get something from the room they're in, but you don't actually have to fight the boss at Mm -hmm. that time. So 
that is one like cool thing about it that they're like, Hey, you know, you don't want to fight the giant snake right now. That's cool. Just, mm-hmm. just get out of there. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually, that's, that's the one that I didn't fight either. And you end up having <laughs> to fight it later anyway. So, yeah. So yeah, I think this is a, a good time to get into some closing thoughts, uh, recommendations before we get into spoilers for resident evil. So Addy, who would you recommend resident evil Two? The remake, of course, that's what we've been talking about. <laughs> and then if there is anyone you'd recommend the original to. Um, I think, honestly, like, 100% if you're a uh, a survival horror fan, but somehow missed out on this game, definitely play it. But honestly, like, especially from how the difficulty is scaled in the easier modes, I don't find it, I, I don't think it would be, like, prohibitively difficult for a person outside of the genre to play either. And, you know, like, I still think it's an incredibly fun and valuable game outside of its context as a survival horror game. So maybe even uh, taking into account that the easy mode does exist, I would kind of recommend this to most people. Uh, I would not recommend Resident Evil 1, the original version, to anybody. <laughs> Again, with the caveat that, like, I guess if you really wanted to play the first game in the series and you wanted that experience, then go for it. But in terms of, like, fun, valuable, like, this this is the better version. Yeah, I, I agree. This This is, like, faithful enough to the original from what I've played of it that it's not like a a completely separate game (laughs) like the RE4 remake feels like uh, sometimes. So yeah, I agree with you. I I do think this is like a really important game to play if you're a fan of horror games, (laughs) um, because as I've, you know, now experienced this and I'm playing some more recent games, um, you find references to this game everywhere uh, within horror and not just survival horror, but um, you will just find little quotes, little uh, references all over the place. Well, you, uh, this is actually probably a fun experience for you. You played uh, Near Replicant, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, the Spencer Mansion is just in that game for no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm um, also playing Signalis right now, which mm-hmm. is like directly inspired by this game. Yeah. Um, and so playing this first is cool to then see all of the references and game mechanics and everything that have been adapted and tweaked to make Signalis the game that it is, Mm -hmm. Uh, which if you haven't played Signalis, you should play it. It's real cool. Okay. I, uh, I haven't played it yet, but it is uh, in my sphere of awareness. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it, this is, I think this is like a really easy recommendation. The only people I wouldn't recommend this to is if you just like, really don't like games that limit your capabilities to save, to carry Mm -hmm. as much stuff as you want, to kill everything that you want to kill, stuff like that. But it may sound bad, and I complained about the saves because I do think that sucks, but the rest of the stuff, the inventory limit, the ammunition um, scarcity, it's really not that bad. Mm -hmm. And you can always play on easy mode because that's an option. Um, And it, it doesn't take away from the things that I think makes this game good to play it on easy no i think it just makes it a little bit smoother especially for people that are coming to it from like a modern um more action uh focused you know uh gameplay experience yeah 
it's it's a game that I'm like really glad to have played uh, mm-hmm. finally. And I gotta, I guess I gotta credit Resident Evil Four for just opening this big can of worms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be interesting as I like probably go on to play the remakes of two and three, uh, which I, I don't think I'll go play the original games besides yeah. maybe just booting them up to see. Um, but it'd be interesting to see like where the series goes uh, mm-hmm. from here and the ultimate goal of getting to RE6 eventually. <laughs> and then I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, it'll probably be a uh, smoother sailing on the second and third remakes because those use the Resident Evil 4 gameplay format. Yeah, those are just straight up action games, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Do they still carry over like the adventure gamey puzzle stuff? A the little remakes? bit, but it's a lot more it's uh did you ever play seven? Seven? RE seven? No. Okay. Oh RE seven. No, hell no. That game looks incredibly scary. It isn't oh yeah, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> um that it, <laughs> it it streamlines a lot of the um puzzle elements of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is the like, oh, bring the the thing to put the thing in the thing and, you know, go to the other part of the police department where you have to put something in this thing. But it's not as complex, I would say, as like the original versions. Gotcha. Yeah, it was it was just interesting to me how, you know, take this back to 1996 and a lot of the like popular types of games like point and click adventures mm-hmm. were a lot more popular back in 1996 than they are now. So taking a lot of those, um, you know, game mechanics and puzzles and stuff from that type of game. It was interesting because I was playing this, I think I played this like directly after Monkey Island, which I just played for the first time. So immediately like keyed me in on some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I don't remember. There was someone on Jala Slack who made that connection too, which is something I've never really thought about. But like there is a really strong through line between like adventure games and survival horror games that I don't think I really ever made the connection to. Yeah. I think like large parts of what you're doing in the game are basically the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Just add in combat and obviously, you know, you're in 3d now, but a lot of that stuff is really, really similar. So I guess uh, if you're listening to this and you hate point and click adventures, um, there's a lot of that DNA in this game too. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, before we get into spoilers, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Addy, where can people find your Twitch and YouTube? Uh, once again, I am at Sister Adelaide on Twitch. Uh, the, twi- uh, the YouTube channel is back on my BS. Awesome. And we'll find links down in the show notes again so that you can easily find those. Uh, really fun Twitch streams, highly recommended. Hmm. And uh, for Tales from the Backlog... You can leave a rating and review if you haven't already. Uh, I would very much appreciate that. It helps people find the show. Also, helping people find the show is telling people that you like this podcast. And um, I know that you people tend to like run and scream and hide when you start recommending podcasts or TV shows or anything to them. But um, I think it's worth it. Help out your friend Dave. If you want to support monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Uh, $2 per month gets you a lot of goodies like voting on games to come up on the show. Uh, you'll get some bonus episodes and uh, other other perks as you go up in the tiers. 
The bonus episode for this month that was bo- uh, voted on by the patrons is Dead Space. So mm-hmm. be on the lookout for that coming later this month. And I do another podcast called A Top Three Podcast. Uh, that is doing top three lists. It is a lot of fun, I think. So go ahead and check that out if you want to hear me talk about things that are not video games. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, it's spoiler time for Resident Evil. Sorry, Resident Evil. <laughs> Incredible. Perfect delivery. <laughs> We're back and it's time for spoilers for Resident Evil. Uh, we are not going to walk beat by beat through the story, but we are going to talk about like what you find out is going on. How did this shit all start? And uh, talk through some kind of memorable moments throughout this game's story. So um, first, I would just kind of want to talk about what's actually going on here. And it's it's kind of told in like not like a backwards way, but like you find out at the very end what's been going on and then all the things that you found at the very beginning make more sense, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting about this story is that if you were playing this back when this was the first game um, and not, you know, in 2023 when we have so many Resident Evil games, like Wesker is not really in (laughs) RE4 until the very end. Yeah. But like... I know that Wesker is the the bad in the mm-hmm. series, right? But Wesker's not the bad at the beginning of this game. He's your partner. And I thought it was kind of interesting how they they set up like Wesker's just like not around much and mm-hmm. when he does show up, he shows up for a few seconds and then disappears again. But they at least in the remake, I don't know about the original, but they really position Barry as super untrustworthy for a mm-hmm. lot of the game. And you find out why later, but like, it's a, like, I knew that in the end, Wesker was going to be the bad guy. Cause mm-hmm. I know where the series goes in that way, but how we got there was kind of a surprise to me, um, how they try to trick you, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to, because I'm the same way. Like even before I played Resident Evil four, I was aware of, you know, Wesker and his uh, status as sort of the. Uh, master manipulator for the majority of the series. Um, right. Is, so, like, it is kind of hard to t- take yourself back mentally and be like, oh, like, if, if you were coming to this series completely fresh, um, you'd just be like, oh, man, Wesker, that's like the cool guy with shades. Um, yeah, he's, he's wearing sunglasses <laughs> inside the haunted mansion. Yeah, he sh- just he, there's a scene the where you walk in and he's he's shooting bees out of the air with his gun. <laughs> yeah. Um so like that actually like actually being a dramatic reveal is is kind of an interesting like it's hard to wrap my head around. Yeah. It's just like one of those things where like I I want to ask someone who played this as the first one because it was the first one that came mm-hmm. out like was this a surprise because it's obviously it's not a surprise anymore right at least so this is where we differ because Barry's not a part of Chris's uh, story but Barry is constantly coming in to save Jill but then there's a bunch of scenes where Barry is acting real weird and uh, like won't answer questions you hear him 
in a room talking to somebody about like, do we really need to kill all the stars people Mm. and stuff like that? Whenever you meet up with him, you talk to him for like a couple seconds and then Barry's like, all right, let's split up again Uh and then leaves. So there's like this, they're setting up Barry as a possible, um, a possible villain. And then you find out that it's all because Wesker has Barry's family captive Mm -hmm. and is basically just making him do it. Yeah. Um, for, for Chris's story, there isn't really that framework. Uh, Basically, I feel like in a way, Chris is, uh, Barry's, uh, like Rebecca, where he's the one that shows up to save Rebecca all the time. And then he's like, Hey, uh, don't, you know, you're, you're just a a little baby girl. Don't, uh, (laughs) don't get yourself killed. And then she'll like wander off and then you'll have to like come and save her again. (laughs) <laughs> but like I, I I'm not sure for certain, but I also feel like Wesker plays a slightly bigger role in Chris's story. I think he shows up a couple of times more than he does in Jill's. And there you know, again in the the series continuity, there's more of a like sort of rivalry kind of between the two of them. Oh, okay. That's true, because Chris is like the protagonist for more games. Yeah than Jill is. If Jill comes back at all, I'm not sure. Jill does come back. She is the protagonist for at least one more game, and then she's in one of the later games as a side character. Gotcha. Uh, But yeah, Chris is the protagonist for a couple more games. Actually, a lot more games. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. It's also funny that um, as soon as the game starts, you, (laughs) it's like, Jill... Barry and Wesker mm-hmm. and maybe like one other dude. Yeah, yeah, there's another guy. Yeah, there um, is. He gets killed almost immediately, I think. <laughs> okay, so there's two other guys because okay. there's one guy that can survive for a while. Um, they all escape into the mansion mm-hmm. and then Wesker just, he's gone yeah. immediately. <laughs> like, as soon as you get in, Wesker just straight up disappears and you don't see him again for like five hours. Yeah. And <laughs> so... That should be clue number one. Like, what's this motherfucker doing in here while we're all fighting for our lives? Mm -hmm. So I start to get a little bit confused, and maybe you can help as you've got more experience with the series here. But you learn about the T-virus, which I have heard when people talk about Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. Um, The T-virus is the one that's turning people into zombies, right? Yeah, it's... Well, it's one of the ones that's turning people into <laughs> exactly, yeah. these, but yes, pr- primarily in this game, it is the zombie right. virus. Yeah. Um, you find out, um, I think that uh, the first thing that got infected with it was this plant that's in um, this other level called mm-hmm. the residence, um, which I just want to shout out the residence as like uh, a really, really cool level. Mm-hmm. The mansion, I think, gets all of its deserved credit for being like an iconic video game level. But then I went to this residence, uh, which is just a small house, and it's a really great level too. And then you go down in the basement and there's a fucking shark tank down there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not even a shark tank. Sorry, I didn't describe that well. There are catwalks Mm -hmm. and it's flooded and there are sharks in there for some reason. Uh, probably also uh, testing on animal reasons. Yeah, that's true. Because one of the sharks is like bigger and it's... uh, Significantly bigger. (laughs) Yeah. And 
I think, is that the one that you have to kill by pushing the like electrified um, thing into the water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad doing that to the sharks, but they also bit me many times when I was running through that room. So yeah. 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 <laughs> that residence also has um, just a room that's really memorable to me for some reason. It's like the rec room in the residence. Oh yeah. yeah they have yeah. like a pool table and a bunch mm-hmm. of like pinup posters and stuff around of like models and stuff. And it's just infested with giant spiders. I love, I, I, I don't know what it is about the giant spiders, but like, I, I love them. Uh, they, they are so big and fuzzy. They look like they would be very cuddly if they weren't trying <laughs> to actively kill you. Right. It's also one of the, like enemies start jump scaring you more as you go through the game. Mm-hmm. And it kind of starts with those spiders, like dropping down from the ceiling and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Eventually you get to enemies just like busting out of walls Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Um, So I forget, and I didn't write down the purpose of the T-virus research. Do you know (sighs) I think it's just money. It's just one of those like, oh, if we uh, get this, you know, perfected into a weaponized form, then we can sell it to the U.S. government or whatever, you know. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) sounds good to me Mm -hmm. but then uh it starts to get like out of control and as you go through you read a bunch of notes from all the people um that like lived or worked in the mansion Mm -hmm. and stuff um and kind of you can piece together like how things started to get to spin out of control and now they're going to try to kill all the stars people to cover it all up as far as i understand yeah i i don't I don't know if, like, they specifically wanted them to be there so they could get rid of them, or, like, if it was just a happy coincidence. Because, like, Wesker is embedded with stars on purpose. Right. So he can keep an eye on them. But I don't know if the idea was, like, he's going to order them out to the mansion to get them killed, and then they can bomb the mansion and it kills two birds with one stone, or, like, what? Right. (laughs) yeah i mean this is the resident evil plot so when you start getting into the fine details it starts to be like yeah sure that makes uh that makes enough sense can we also just for a second camp out on why raccoon city which is essentially like i don't know new york or something has Mm -hmm. its own special forces like that's that's crazy (laughs) like why well if it's i don't know if it's like the size of new york then i mean smaller cities have special forces and like SWAT teams and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, I I guess you're right. I I don't know. I, I I guess I guess it could be like roughly analogous to a SWAT team. It just uh it always struck me as like weird that there would be like this special elite and there's got to be like multiple squads of them, right? Because like there's a Bravo team, there's an Alpha yeah. team. Uh are is your squad Bravo? I think yours might be alpha because okay. I think Bravo's the people that are dead when you get right there. that go in before you. So there's at least like you know two six member uh, elite like police, but also military people. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't have like further context from this series, but I didn't picture Raccoon City as being like that big mm. but it is it's like a like a giant i city. think i i mean like i don't know that it's necessarily as but it's like a you know developed urban city uh right. it's not supposed to be like at least to to the way it's depicted in the games like it's not supposed to be like a rural town or anything right so then that 
begs the question why the special forces from the Raccoon City <laughs> Police Department are out in like the middle of nowhere at this mansion. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I think the, you know, the, the Arclay mansion is close enough that you can chop her there. So I guess it must be uh, adjacent to Raccoon City in some way. <laughs> Look at us discussing and debating jurisdictions for <laughs> That's right. fictional this police departments. This is an departments. FBI issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been funny if like uh, the FBI showed up and they argued about, you know, whose case it right. is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you have contact with Lisa well before you kind of find out what's going on with Lisa, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that's kind of a late revelation. Um, so Lisa is like this monster that you you first find – um, in her cabin, uh, it's a good little horror moment. Cause you go in there and the cabin is abandoned. There's a typewriter and an item box and it's like a, a nice cozy spot. And then when you leave the room where like the typewriter is, there's this monster in there, mm-hmm. um, that looks significantly more fucked up than the other zombies around. Yeah. She's kind of like a kind of like a hunchback of Notre Dame sort of character where she's like hunched over her face is a little bit melted. Uh, she's got like chains on her arms. Uh, there are at least one, possibly multiple other faces, uh, grafted onto her body. Mm -hmm. You talked about earlier how like the character models and stuff are just, they don't have the kind of detail that like, if they remade this game now, Lisa would look really, really mm-hmm. fucked up. Yeah. Um, but they still managed to pull it off. I think in this game yeah. more so than like the regular zombies or even the final boss, uh, basically. Yeah. I think the, uh, the downfall for, uh, like resident evil kind of style stuff is like the, the big, the, the like tyrants and stuff are supposed to be scary, but they're just like big. We slapped an eyeball on something. Uh, he's got blades <laughs> coming out of his arms, uh, and he's mm-hmm. really muscular. You know, it's not like there is like an element of body horror, right? Because like they're all sensibly humans that have gone through this awful like transformation, but they don't actively seem uncomfortable in a way that like, Lisa does, you know, she seems like she's in pain. And also unlike the rest of the zombies and, um, the tyrants and all the other monsters and stuff, Lisa still seems sentient and like aware of what's going on, which, uh, adds to it. Cause you, you read her diaries and stuff and, um, you read about what happened to her mom, which I think her mom was like the first T virus person. I think so. I believe, yeah, she was the, cause, uh, uh, her dad built the mansion or mm-hmm. it was his mansion. No, Spencer mansion. So, uh, her dad like built it or like was one of the top researchers at, um, at Umbrella. So his wife and daughter were like some of the first test subjects. Um, and his wife, like, the the T virus like rejected her body, um, but like it stabilized in Lisa in a weird fucked up way. Mm-hmm. So you find a bunch of um, like diaries where Lisa is like, I think it's Lisa's. Is Lisa's diary the one that goes into like the itchy tasty thing? Where- I don't. I don't 
think that that's hers because that's okay. in the original game too. And like, I I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, Lisa is essentially like cut content from the original oh, okay. game. Like they gotcha. were planning on putting her in, but like there just wasn't enough time or whatever. So, mm, okay. So yeah, then not itchy tasty because uh, again, <laughs> famous quote from the original game, mm-hmm. but. Um, you do find Lisa's like diaries and notes where she's talking about like her mom and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, you can assume after this like terrible thing has happened to her. And then also um, in the boss fight with Lisa, well, Lisa comes and chases you around a couple mm-hmm. of times, but then you actually have a boss fight uh, where there's this coffin there. And uh, again, very weird setup. I don't know who put these like stones <laughs> on the edge of like this ledges on this boardwalk yeah. above a bottomless pit or something like <laughs> that. But after you push the stones off the ledge and the coffin opens up, Lisa immediately like runs over there and grabs the skull and then mm-hmm. she jumps off the edge. Yeah. So um, there's still thought conscious thought happening there which makes lisa one of the only monsters that you even give a second thought to you mm-hmm. know and i think it is interesting i think the way that they tell her story because the the diaries that you find are like in the order of most recent chronologically to when you arrive at the manor to like the oldest which means that like with the first one that you read is at her like most degraded state. And the, mm-hmm. m- the last one that you read is like when she's still like coherent, can write sentences, stuff like that. Yeah. You even find like a, a like surprisingly nice bedroom set up, like down in mm-hmm. the tunnels <laughs> underneath um, like the mansion grounds and stuff. Yeah. Which I suppose you can assume has been, well, no, you can't assume it's been long abandoned because there's like candles and shit lit. Yeah, in I think she does live there sometimes because, like, that's I, I think you find like a family photo there of like her and her mm-hmm. dad and mom. Yeah. So, like, this little short story um, with Lisa and like this kind of expectation that you're going to end up like having to kill her or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's kind of what happens, but not really what happens, like makes it a more memorable short story than all of the kind of anonymous like diaries and notes you find from the other people around the mansion who are just like, you know, zombie number 26. Right. Basically. Yeah. 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 So it's it's a nice little short story. It has a little bit more heart to it um, than the average uh, Resident Evil enemy, I suppose. Yeah. Or even the, um, like, you know, you have little, as you go through, because, you, you know, your original purpose is to, like, figure out what happened to Bravo Team. And uh, you have, yeah. like, little story scenes with all of them. But, even, like, those don't carry any sort of weight because they're not really characters. They're just, like, dudes that you run into. Right. Just kind of people kind of people filling roles almost Mm -hmm. like you don't really get to know any of these uh, people. Yeah. There's the, (laughs) there's the guy we didn't, well, I actually, you did bring up the opening, um, not the opening, but one of the first cutscenes where the zombie is, uh, snacking on that dude in the hallway and, uh, turns around and chases you. That was one of the Bravo team members. Mm -hmm. Like he was already dead. Um, there's that guy named Richard, 
who I can't remember if he's on your team or Bravo team. I think he's a Bravo team guy. But he's the one with the, the snake bite, right? Yeah. 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 Did you end up saving him? No, I was actually really surprised because I felt like I, like, so the first time I ever played the remake, I had no idea where the serum was. Um, right. So he ended up dying because uh, I didn't do it fast enough. And then like this time, I felt like I took a very direct route to get back to that like basement storeroom. I got mm. the serum and then still didn't make it back in time. Weird. Yeah. It's uh, totally understandable that you wouldn't know where the serum is because if you, before this Richard scene plays out, if you interact with that um, medicine cabinet, Jill or Chris will just go, huh, a bunch of weird medicine here. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you're, you're supposed to intuit that like, oh, this room's actually like, you know, a, a doctor's office or something or a clinic or something, something like, like that. Something like that, yeah. Again, Love to have a doctor's office in my house. Right? <laughs> <laughs> in in the house of what I can only assume is an actual medical doctor, right? Because he's like the right. head of a pharmaceutical <laughs> company. <laughs> yeah. I was able to save him because I booked it. Mm. Uh, well, I was playing with a guide, but I did book it back uh, to that room. Um, and then you have a choice to fight the giant snake. We both ran away from it, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once it becomes clear that you can just walk out the door. Uh, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. If it sucks, hit the bricks. That's right. <laughs> and that's, that's early enough in the game that like, you don't have a lot of resources to spend. So I feel like it's a much smarter choice to not fight it there anyway. And that guy also gets fucked up. He gets killed during that fight. Oh, really? So is it during that fight or is it during a, diff- a different fight against the snake? Cause you fight the snake later. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, Cause he dies and then you pick up his gun. I think. Oh, I like died. The... That didn't happen for me. Oh, okay. If you're playing as Jill, that's what happens. Uh, is that how you get the grenade launcher? I oh. think it's like the assault shotgun or assault oh, something. Huh. Rather. Interesting. Well, so if he dies because of the poison, mm-hmm. then he won't come in, I guess, when you oh, fight the snake. So okay. that's probably what happened. Okay, gotcha. kind of in the portion of the spoiler section where we just have a bunch of cool fun memorable stuff to talk about so um what do you got what's something that sticks in your memory from this game um i think what's uh what's really interesting to me is the way that they uh use like characters don't like like jill and chris don't have much of a character per se like they interact with people but like for the most part you get a lot of characterizations in how they uh how they react to their surroundings uh so like Mm -hmm. the way that they look at like you know because uh chris is oftentimes very like dismissive of art so like (laughs) he'll be like yeah, this is some painting. I don't really care about it, though. <laughs> you know, whereas, like, Jill might have something more, like, interesting or insightful to say. Or, like, 
Uh, Jill knows how to play the piano, but Chris doesn't. I was just going to ask you, does Chris play Moonlight Sonata? No. uh, (laughs) Rebecca comes and plays it for him. Uh, Okay. But she has to, like, practice first. There's this weird little, like, timed puzzle where, like, you know, like, she comes in and Chris is like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she, (laughs) like, she's like, oh, I think I can play this, but, you know, I'll need some time to practice. And you have to, like leave the room and do like a lap around the the mansion and then come back and then she'll like have done it <laughs> chris don't watch me practice yeah come back later. i don't know it's weird <laughs> um so yeah in jill's playthrough mm-hmm. she just sits down and plays and i thought that was weird and funny because you're in a quiet haunted mansion full of monsters but <laughs> i definitely think i have to sit down at the piano and play moonlight sonata right now well i mean you know they wouldn't have kept a a musical score for it in the mansion if it wasn't important right (laughs) that's true if it didn't open a secret door (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that that part stood out to me as just like goofy as shit and really fun Mm -hmm. the uh the little thing under the graveyard where you you have to pick up these death masks Mm -hmm. and take them there and solve this little puzzle to put the right mask on the right um bust and uh then it's it's just goofy like i think it was like this era of game animation where it was either difficult or they didn't want to make the coffin subtly move mm-hmm. when you put one of the masks on it like violently shakes when you put the masks <laughs> on there and even by like mask number two it's like shaking around so wildly that you're like okay something's gonna happen with that coffin yeah um and then it's just it's just a a super zombie yeah. basically. I I I love the idea that so like you find out later um through reading notes that that's like the prototype crimson head zombie and okay. they were like oh this thing is like terrifyingly fast and dangerous uh but we're not going to get rid of it. We have to hold on to it, right? So like right. what's what's the most like extra the most dramatic way we could keep <laughs> the zombie, right? Is to uh, put him in like a steel, like a thick steel coffin, uh, suspended by four chains that are going to be attached to these like pedestals. The that, puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> the umbrella, like R and D department, must. I mean, they do a lot of work in research too, but they they must have a lot of creativity going into like the the setups and shit. Yeah, that's I'm going on here. Honestly, surprised that they don't have like a game dev division in Umbrella <laughs> because seems like they'd be really good at it yeah very creative people mm-hmm. um, when they're not ruining the world <laughs> yeah just thinking about how how that would come to be same with the, the like i said that that suit of armor with the spinning blade <laughs> upstairs where you have to you remove the key and they kind of pin you in and you have to put a fake key in there mm-hmm. to escape it that was goofy as fuck. Well, and and the fake key that you specifically get because they fed it to one of the dogs that that's yeah. like on a veranda somewhere. And they did that on purpose to like keep the fake key safe, I guess. <laughs> it's like, no, we're not going to keep the key in like a secure location. Um, we're not going to bury it somewhere. We're not going to, I don't know give it to Wesker right, or something yeah. like that. It's we're going to put it on a dog's collar. Yeah, yeah. that is goofy as shit. <laughs> Interesting. Um, the, I forgot to mention in the non-spoiler part. So ring the bell. Um, the original 
Resident Evil game. It has the famous jump scare with the dogs that bust mm-hmm. through the window. Um, and in this game, that didn't happen um, in my game. Oh, really? They, yeah. So what I think happens hmm. is the first time you go through that hallway, uh, unless this is a Chris versus Jill difference, the dogs will jump and they'll crack the window, but mm-hmm. they won't bust in. And then I think if you like go back, maybe they'll bust through. Is that what happens? Yeah, that's my memory is that it's like a kind of a reversal of expectation. They don't go yeah. through when you're going through it the first time, but they do on the way back through. Interesting. I must not have gone back through that hallway again. I must have, because I think there's a better path mm. from like from the middle staircase to where the save room is. There's an easier path later in the game than going mm. through that side hallway. Yeah. So yeah, I never saw that. Um, but I did think it was a cool thing imagining the people who played the original and are now playing the remake and expecting that and then it doesn't happen and then mm-hmm. it gets in the second time. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun little way to play with expectations. Yeah. The uh, puzzle later where you have to mix the plant poison mm-hmm. called V-Jolt for <laughs> some reason. <laughs> Sounds like an energy drink. It does, yeah. A discontinued flavor of surge or something <laughs> yeah, like that. exactly. Um, but that puzzle uh, is ridiculous. I don't know how I would have did it without a guide, um, especially because if you make a mistake, it resets you, but like doesn't really tell you why you made a mistake. It's just a yeah. bunch of like trying to follow these directions that are like half descriptive and half like not really, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for Jill, she can just, does she need to have like a manual before she can start mixing things or does she just start outright? Uh, you, you do need to find the formula is written somewhere. Okay. But I don't know if there's a special like chemistry for dummies that you find. Cause I feel like with Chris, like the first time that you get into that room, cause you get into it before you do the plant. Uh, encounter he's just like i don't know there's a bunch of like bottles around (laughs) but i don't know what to do with that bunch of science bullshit yeah doesn't (laughs) include strong man things um so like he runs into the plant room and gets captured and then rebecca shows up and he's like here take this uh take this manual because i think you pick it up in the plant room He's like, oh, take mm-hmm. this manual and make the the plant killer and put it in the basement or whatever. Okay, so is this optional? Like, can you just fight the plant boss I or do you have to mix up this? I think killer? so. I think you do have to make it to kill it. Because so for Jill, you you do like another stage to that fight afterwards, right? So you you mix up the plant killer, yeah, and then you you stab it. Um, it shrivels up and then in another room, the plant surprises you, it grabs Jill and then Barry comes in and saves her and then runs away again. Yeah, of course. Cause like with Chris, I feel like, uh, so it, it grabs her, him, um, Rebecca does the thing in the very basement, right in the aqua ring where the roots are or whatever. Um, and then like it shrivels up, lets go of him and then comes back and you have to do like another fight in that room. So you do actually have to fight it though. Yeah. Well, okay. as, well, I, I guess I don't know for sure. I did fight it. I didn't try to leave though. Okay. Cause like as Jill, you don't, you don't fight it. It grabs you in a cutscene, and then Barry mm. comes in. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
So any other like memorable stuff that you want to touch on before we get to the ending and stuff? Um, not, not really. I think, uh, it's just been like a really good, uh, experience. Um, I, I think it's really impressive, uh, the amount, I mean, like, I don't want to get sidetracked into, uh, old video games have more content than new video games discussion, <laughs> because I think that's asinine, but it really is surprising how, like, much there is in this as a single package. You know, you have two different character playthroughs that have mm-hmm. enough differences that they feel like mostly unique playthroughs. Uh, you've got, I think two or maybe three possible endings for each character, depending on which, if you saved your person and then if you saved either Chris or Jill. Interesting. Or just okay. leave by yourself, right? Um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's really a, a pretty large amount of. And there's actually a puzzle as Chris that I didn't even do, and I don't know what it was for, but. Uh, I didn't have to do it. Uh, huh. It was totally optional. There's a there's like a graveyard area that's in between where the cabin is and the courtyard that has gravestones that have like a plus, yeah. a minus, and an equal sign indentation. Oh yeah, yeah. I never picked up the things for that. I did because I was using a guide, and that's where you get the magnum. Oh, okay, cool. Because I I know I picked up bullets for the magnum but i never got it myself uh <laughs> yeah that's where you pick up the magnum which was um really handy to have especially in the lab mm-hmm. uh, where there's just a bunch of things um because the magnum i think does like automatic head explosions mm. so uh real useful to have because you you go to the lab later and you just you're crisscrossing that entire thing like yeah. so many times so yeah the um the lab and the ending, I guess, is uh, is all we've got left. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a lot to say about the lab, except it's creepy, as all Resident Evil labs <laughs> probably are, uh-huh. I think. And from what I'm to understand, all of the games have a lab. It's fairly common that below whatever <laughs> thing that you're in, there is a, a spooky science lab all, yeah. all along. <laughs> But yeah, nothing like super notable as far as like puzzles and stuff, uh, other than the enemies that bust out of the vents um, mm-hmm. in in that section. So let's talk about the endings because it sounds like the endings are like pretty different for each character. So like when you're playing as Jill or when you're playing as Chris, is Jill locked up in a jail cell then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with. Uh, Chris, there is a specific, uh, encounter where you have the ability to either, uh, save or let Rebecca die. And then, um, the, the puzzle that you do to save Jill is, I guess, actually, uh, optional. Although I, it's, you pick up the items for it. So it seems like it's a required thing to do, but, uh, but yeah. So whether you saved Rebecca, whether you saved Jill before the self-destruct goes, and then that that affects what your ending is. Gotcha. So you can save one or the other, both of them, or neither of them, I believe. Right. And it's the same for Jill. Mm-hmm. You can save Chris, and you can save Barry. I like just checked, because like, saving Barry felt very natural, mm-hmm. like... It wasn't like a choice of like a, you know, quick decision, do this and Barry lives. It wasn't like something like that. It felt like a very natural thing. Um, 
but I almost forgot to go back for Chris <laughs> after the final, like, co- or the penultimate confrontation. Mm-hmm. It's it, that part is weird because, like, it it is odd that you're you're the other character, the other protagonist gets captured off screen and really doesn't have any sort of part in the game until the very very end. Right. Um, and like you can do the thing with the uh the mo discs to like open up the door to get to their jail cell but the game doesn't really ever tell you. I, I i think it like during the self-destruct sequence it's like oh all of the locks are released but yeah you know that doesn't necessarily tell you because like up until that point pretty much every locked door has had a key it's not like a you know like an automatic lock system or whatever and it's an optional thing to mm-hmm. unlock all those doors and even find the the jail cell in the first place. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think you have to even find it. Mm-mm. No. So do you know by chance, like, is there a timer when that self-destruct thing is going? I think there is, but it's a pretty generous timer. It's not... It's not on screen, so... Oh. Hmm. Like, it, it was one of those things where it was like, the self-destruct thing is going off. I should save, and then I should go back and get Chris. I wonder if I have enough time. And, mm. like, so I, like, you know, hurried to go do it, but I wasn't, like, super efficient with it. So yeah. I was wondering, like, is it a fake timer? Oh. And they're just, you know, they're going to let me... Basically do whatever. They're going to make me feel the pressure that the place is going to explode, but they're not actually going to make it explode if I take too long. That's Although, that's a that's actually a good question. I don't know if there is an actual timer or not. There might be because that poison serum quest had a a hidden timer yeah. to it too. So it could be, but yeah, almost forgot Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris has a really funny line when you're um, escaping, like after the confrontation with Wesker, and um, Barry shoots Wesker, and then you're fighting the tyrant thing, and Wesker escapes while mm-hmm. everyone is preoccupied because, of course, he does where you're running out and like Chris is like, I'll stay behind. You go ahead. And uh, Jill's like, but Chris, you, she says something like, but Chris, you can't stay behind. And he's like, well, can I have my moments too? It's like a really (laughs) cheesy action movie line. Um, Is there anything like, what is Jill's character like if you haven't been playing as her the whole game? Is is she just, she's just like, kind of there i mean like she's excited to see chris and she's like oh we gotta get out of here the thing's gonna blow up um and then if you have uh, rebecca alive um at that point when you get to the helipad um she'll help you fight the tyrant uh but that's about it i i didn't really notice any sort of like uh characterization beyond that gotcha because i i definitely like chris was a part of my game for 10 minutes uh-huh. <laughs> and i definitely was like oh this guy's a giant meathead I yeah. Got yeah 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 <laughs> um that's interesting though that you mentioned uh wesker is there in in your playthrough because in in chris's storyline uh oh, he actually yeah. gets killed um so like during the part where you're in the lab with the tyrant uh he like lets him out and he's like ah ha ha this is the ultimate life form or whatever <laughs> bullshit um and then like it immediately goes over and kills him oh cool yeah yeah in um in this one it like injures him but he's still like 
either injures him or just kind of like menaces him for a second. Mm. Um, but the big thing is that Barry shoots Wesker. Oh, okay. Um, in like a dramatic, like you thought Barry was turned all the way, but he's uh-huh. he's gonna help you out at the last minute type of thing. Gotcha. Weird. Okay. Yeah. So. I imagine the fight on the helipad with the tyrant goes a similar way. You kind of just like stay alive until someone tosses you a rocket launcher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm glad that they brought that forward to the point where in RE4, you get rocket launchers that are boss. Basically, I want to skip this boss. Uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, you uh, you fly off as the mansion explodes. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of Resident Evil. That's right. So... I guess before we finish up, one more question about that confrontation with Wesker. If you're playing as Chris, Mm -hmm. what's Rebecca's um, role in that, if any? She's just there. She's there and she gets shot. Um, uh, So, so like, specifically in the lab, like, you guys run in and you're like, Wesker, you're the traitor. Um, And he's like, haha, I'm the villain. And then I think he tries (laughs) to shoot uh, Chris, but like, Rebecca steps in front of it and like you think she's dead but like after you do the boss fight uh he like runs over to her and she's like oh I'm okay and then Chris says something stupid like oh it's a good thing you're wearing that bulletproof vest (laughs) (laughs) but delivered with that that trademark Resident Evil voice acting Mm -hmm. right yeah 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 (laughs) so I guess one more question do you know which of these endings is canon I would guess that this that jill's playthrough is canon just because well not not that you know obviously wesker can die and survive in in later uh games because i think he does that in most of the games that he's in <laughs> like he does a fake out death um, uh-huh. but i i want to say it's probably jill's playthrough but I, I don't actually know i don't know if it's one of those things where like you know it's like bits of of each playthrough has like been carried forward or or what okay so the canon ending according to a quick search is Mm -hmm. that jill barry chris and rebecca all escape with wesker being killed by the tyrant so it sounds like chris's playthrough interesting is can except was barry there in your ending um he he might have been in the ending cut scene like yeah. in the chopper, but he wasn't in in the game proper at all. Okay, gotcha. So it sounds like Chris's is, is the the canon. Interesting, huh? Yeah, cool. Well, that is Resident Evil, uh, the remake, and a little touching on the original game. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, spending two hours to talk about <laughs> it with me. Yeah, no problem. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, another recommendation for everybody to check out. Uh, back on my BS on YouTube and then uh, uh, follow Addy on Twitch uh, where you can find some fun, weird horror game streams. Uh, yeah. They are fun to pop into. So yeah, this uh, this game was a lot of fun. Uh, this conversation was good. I'm looking forward to the next Resident Evil game and looking forward to the next time um, having you on the show. Maybe not for a horror game. Next yeah, time. maybe we'll do something completely out, outside of the box and just <laughs> you, like... You, you and Adam are both uh, <laughs> like... Like, I promise I play other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but this is this is good. Every uh, every October is always good. So I appreciate you coming on the show of course, again. Of uh, course. Good times. 
And thank you to everybody who's still listening. I appreciate everyone who sticks it out to the end. Hopefully you've enjoyed the episode. Next week, we're going to have another horror game coming your way. So stay tuned for the next game to come out of the backlog. <laughs>